Welcome to Her Half of History. My name is Lori. The current series is Great Painters, and today's episode is something totally different from the usual. Last week, I talked about Paula Moderson Becker, the early Expressionist painter. One of her deepest friendships was with Rainer Maria Rilke, the Austrian poet, one of the best-known German-language poets in history. One year to the day after Paula died, Rilke sat down to write a requiem for her, and today's episode is That Requiem. In translation, of course. As translated by my favorite German literature professor, indeed, the only German literature professor I know, my brother, James Rasmussen. I gave him an extremely tight deadline, and he was a very good sport about this, working without any reference to any other English translations, none of which are in the public domain and therefore unusable to me. If you have not listened to last week's episode, I would suggest you do so before listening to this. The poem has numerous references to Paula and her life. For example, the amber necklace that appeared in many of her paintings. Her pursuit of still life, in which she arranged fruits in a way quite different from the traditional still life bounty. Her pursuit of the new genre in which she portrayed women not as desirable and available, that had been done, but as whole, complete, and creative. The restlessness with which she moved to and from Paris, to and from her family, to and from the traditional role for women, without fully settling wholeheartedly into any of them. And finally, the tragic way in which she died in childbirth, age 31, when she had both a painting career and motherhood to look forward to, both of them suddenly cut short. I will freely admit that I do not understand everything that Rilke has put in this poem. It's fairly long, at least by my poetry standards, and maybe rambles a bit, but I think that's intentional. It is an expression of grief, and like grief itself, it ebbs and flows, sometimes poignantly sharp, sometimes just a dull throb, and it goes on and on until it finds not resolution, but maybe resignation. That's my current take on the poem anyway. This is Requiem for a Friend by Rainer Maria Rilke, translated by James Rasmussen. I have dead ones, and I let them go, and was astonished to see them so comforted, so quickly at home in being dead, so at ease, so different from their reputation. You alone, you come back, you brush against me, you move around, you want to bump up against something so it makes a sound and discloses you. Oh, do not take from me what I slowly come to know. I am right. You err when you, moved, have a homesickness for anything. We transfigure it. It is not here. We reflect it out from within our being as soon as we recognize it. I believed you to be much further along. It confuses me that it is you who comes and goes, you who has transfigured more than any other woman. That we were startled when you died, know that your strong death kept us in darkness, ripped the up-until-then away from the since-then. That is our business. Coming to terms with it will be our task that we pursue in all things. But that you yourself were startled, and even now are startled, where fright and shock no longer take place, that you lose a piece of your eternity and enter in here, friend, here where everything is not yet, that you, dispersed, dispersed for the first time in the universe and half, that you do not grasp the course of unending natures like you grasped everything here. 
that out of the cycle that already received you, the silent heaviness of some disquiet pulls you down to a time already counted out, that awakens me at night often, like a thief breaking in. And if only I could say that you are just resting, that you come out of generosity, out of an overflow, because you are so certain, so secure in yourself that you wander around like a child, unafraid of places where someone might do you harm. But no, you are pleading. This cuts me to the bone and goes through me like a saw. A reproach that you were to carry as a ghost would come after me when I retire at night, into my lungs, into my gut, into the last poorest chamber of my heart. But such a reproach would not be as terrible as your pleading is. For what are you pleading? Tell me, shall I travel? Have you left behind something somewhere that is struggling and wants to return to you? Should I go to a country that you did not see, though it was related to you like the other half of your soul? I want to travel its rivers, want to go on land and ask about old customs. I want to speak with the women in the doorways and watch when they call their children. I want to observe how they put on the landscape outside in the old task of the meadows and fields. I want to demand to be taken to their king and want to bribe the priests so they bring me to the strongest divine statue, and then leave and close the temple gates. Then, once I know much, I just want to watch the animals, so that something of their movement slides over into my limbs. I want to have a short existence in their eyes, so they hold me and slowly let me be, calmly, without judgment. I want to have the gardeners recite many flowers to me, that I may bring back with me a remnant of the hundred odors in the shards of their beautiful proper names. And I want to buy fruits, fruits in which the land is, once more, up to the sky. For you understood this, the full fruits. You laid them in bowls before you, and balanced their heaviness with colors. And you saw the women like fruits, and saw the children so, driven inwardly into the forms of their being. And you saw yourself as a fruit, took yourself out of your clothes, carried yourself before the mirror, let yourself in, into your looking, which remained high above, and did not say, that is me, but that is. So much without curious desire was your looking, and so possessionless, of such a true poverty, that it no longer desired you, yourself, wholly. I want to keep you as you presented yourself to yourself in the mirror, deep within and away from everything. Why do you come differently now? What draws you back? Why do you want to persuade me that in those amber beads around your neck is still some heaviness, of that heaviness that is never there in the beyond of images at rest? Why do you show me in your behavior a foreboding, what forces you to interpret the contours of your body like the lines of a hand, so that I cannot see it any more without feeling a sense of fate? Come here into the candlelight. I am not afraid to look at the dead. If they come, they have a right to put themselves in our gaze, like other things. Come here, let us be still for a while. Look at this rose on my writing desk. Is not the light around it exactly as timid as around you? It, too, should perhaps not be here. Outside in the garden, 
unmixed with me. It should have stayed, or it should have gone. Now it remains like this. What is my consciousness to it? Do not be startled if I now understand. Ah, now it arises within me. I cannot do differently. I must understand, even if I were to die from it. To understand that you are here. I understand just as a blind man understands around a thing. I feel your lot and know no name for it. Let us lament together that someone took you out of your mirror. Can you still weep? You cannot. The force and the welling of your tears you have transformed into your mature gaze, and you undertook to transform every juice within you into a strong existence that rises and circles in balance blindly. Then chance snatched you, your last chance snatched you back out of your furthest progress, back into a world where juices want to be. Did not snatch you whole, snatched only a piece at first. But as reality so increased around this piece from day to day that it became heavy, then you needed yourself entire. Then you went and brought yourself out of the law in fragments, laboriously, because you needed yourself. Then you carried yourself away and dug out of the night-warm earth kingdom of your heart the seeds, still green, out of which your death should bud. Yours, your own death, for your own life. And you ate them, the seeds of your death, like all others. You ate its seeds, and had an aftertaste of sweetness within you that you did not expect. You had sweet lips, you who were already sweet inwardly in the senses. Oh, let us lament. Do you know how your blood came back from its incomparable route, reluctant and unwilling when you retrieved it? How it, confused, took up once again the small circulation of your body? How it, full of mistrust and amazement, stepped into the placenta and was suddenly tired from the long path back? You drove it on. You prodded it on. You dragged it to the fireplace as one drags a herd of animals to the sacrifice, and you still wanted that it should be happy about it. And you finally forced it. It was happy, and ran on and devoted itself. It seemed to you, because you were accustomed to other measures, that it would only be a short while. But now you were in time, and time is long. And time goes on, and time increases, and time is like the recurrence of a long sickness. How short your life was, when you compare it to those hours when you sat and silently weighed the many forces of your much future against the new child sprout that was also destiny. O oh, woeful task! O oh, task above all power! You did it day after day. You trudged to it and pulled the beautiful weft out of the loom, and kneaded all your threads differently, and in the end you still had courage for the festival. For when it was done you wanted to be rewarded, like children when they have drunk bittersweet tea that might make them healthy. So you rewarded yourself, for you were too far from anyone else as now too. No one would have been able to think of which reward would do you good. You knew it. You sat up in the childbed, and before you stood a mirror that gave you everything back. Now that was all you, and entirely before you, and inwardly there was only illusion, 
the beautiful illusion of every woman who likes to change jewelry and combs her hair and changes. Thus you died, like women died in earlier times. Old-fashioned you died in the warm house, the death of women in childbed, who want to close themselves again and cannot do it, because that darkness that they bore with the child comes once again and pushes and enters. Should we nevertheless have summoned mourners, women who weep for money and whom one can pay so that they wail through the night when all is still? Bring on the customs. We do not have enough customs. Everything goes away and is betrayed. Thus you must come, dead, and here with me make up the mourning. Do you hear that I mourn? I would like to throw my voice like a shawl over the shards of your death, and pull at it until it is in tatters, and everything that I say would go so ragged into this voice and would freeze if it all remained mourning. But now I also accuse. Not the one who pulled you out of yourself. I cannot discern him. He is like everyone. But I accuse everyone in him. The man. If somewhere a having been a child arises deep within me that I do not yet know, perhaps the purest child being of my childhood, I do not want to know it. I want to form an angel out of it without looking, and want to throw it into the first row of crying angels that reminisce God. For this suffering has already lasted too long, and no one can bear it. It is too heavy for us. The confused suffering of false love, which, building on lapses of time as habit, names itself the right and grows out of the wrong. Where is a man who has the right to ownership? Who can own what does not preserve itself, what from time to time simply catches itself and throws itself away again like a child a ball, as little as the commander can hold on to a statue of Nike on the forebow of a ship, when the secret lightness of being of the divinity suddenly lifts them away in the light sea-wind? So little can one of us call the woman, who does not see us any more, and who travels on the narrow strip of her existence, like a miracle without mishap. If he could, occupation and pleasure would become guilt. For this is guilt, if there is any guilt at all. Not to increase the freedom of a beloved, with respect to every freedom that one summons up in oneself, for we have, where we love, only this. To let each other be. For that we hold to one another, that is easy for us, and does not need to be learned. Are you still here? In what corner are you? You have known so much of all of this, and were able to do so much, when you went around open to everything like a day just dawning. The women suffer. To love means to be alone. And artists sometimes sense in their work that where they love, they have to transfigure. You began both. Both is in that which now distorts a reputation, which now takes it away from you. Ah, you were far from that reputation. You were inconspicuous. You had quietly taken in your beauty, as one pulls in a flag in the gray morning of a workday, and you wanted nothing but a long task, which is not complete. For all that, not complete. If you are still here, in this darkness, there is still a place in which your spirit delicately resonates on the shallow sound waves that a voice, lonely in the night, raises in the currents of an upper room. 
then hear me, help me. Look, thus we slide back, not knowing when, from our progress into something that we do not intend, in which we entangle ourselves as in a dream, and in which we die without awakening. No one is further along. To everyone who raised up his blood into a work that lasts long, it can happen that he does not hold it up, and that it goes according to its weight, worthless. For somewhere there is an old enmity between life and the great work. That I may apprehend this work and say it, help me. Do not come back. If you can bear it, be dead among the dead. The dead are occupied. But help me in a way that does not distract you, like that which is farthest away sometimes helps in me. Many thanks to James for the translation. If you, like me, would need to read that again, it is available on my website, herhalfofhistory.com. Look me up on Twitter as at her underscore half, Facebook and Instagram, and Patreon as her half of history. Next week, I will be back to my usual shtick with episode 10.13, Frida Kahlo. Thanks. <laughs>